So how is everybody? You guys good? Yell at me if you're good. All right. So there's some good people in the room that are doing good. That's, that's good. So, uh, man, great worship tonight. And we just got done uh, singing a, a really great song and a song that I don't think we've done. I think that this may be the first time we've done that song. And, uh, and I love the, the lyrics of that song. And I love that, just that phrase, how can it be? And, um, and so I was just thinking about that phrase and, and how that translates to other things. And, and, um, and so I thought it would be fun maybe for the first couple of minutes just to, I don't know if you call it a game or whatever, but just talk a little bit about that phrase, that how can it be, and how that may potentially translate into other things that we look at and we go, I don't, that don't really make sense to me. Or there's no way that that really could be true. Um, so we'll have a little fun uh, for just a couple minutes. So this, this is a game called How Can It Be, all right? I came up with it myself. It's real creative. So the, uh, I'll give you an example. All right, so here's the first one. How can it be that the same person can look like Screech and yet also be told that he looks like Justin Timberlake and all, shut up, and, and also be told that he looks, looks like Dirks Bentley and that he looks like American Ninja Warrior guy. How in the world? So look at these four guys right here, all right? How can it be that somebody could look like all four of those guys? Um, and believe it or not, I've, I've been offended and yet also encouraged, and now I'm offended because you said that, that there's no way that that's true. Um, so now the latest one, all right, I get this all the time, and I, yeah, I've got curly hair, blah, 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 so I, apparently that's it. So the latest one happened this past week from somebody that will rena- remain nameless, one of our leaders who decided to post a video on my Facebook wall to say, hey, this, this high school kid who is creepily staring into this camera, and he's shirtless, by the way, and telling his girlfriend that he can't wait to see her at school tomorrow, baby girl, and that I love you so much, baby girl. Um, so throw that, throw that picture up. Throw that ne- next picture up. <laughs> you, guys know what I'm, you guys have seen this, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? So somebody decided to say, hey, Todd, this is probably you, and you were in high school, and some of the stuff you used to, t- to tell your girlfriends or whatever. Um, which is not at all true, all right? And guys, let me just say, you do not want to be this guy, okay? There's no part of you that wants to be this guy, all right? He's going to look back from this 10 years from now and go, what is my problem, or what was my problem? Um, my favorite line, just, and this is, this is no cost, was the whole, like, um, I need you more than gold and diamonds are needed by the, the greediest burglar or something like that. It's like, what the heck? So um, anyway, all right, so that, there's one. What about this one? How can it be, and this is just a crazy fact that I had to look this up several times. There is, there is a chicken that is, <laughs> where am I going with this? There is a chicken that has lived with his head cut off for 18 months. Look at this right here. So talk about random facts of the night, all right? If you go home to mom and dad and you're like, what'd you learn tonight? Well, there's this chicken that lived for 18 months without his head. Uh, so back in the 40s, apparently, and I looked this up, it's true. Back in the 40s, some farmer pulled out his machete or whatever, cut this chicken's head off, but the head came off, but it didn't actually kill the chicken. And so for 18 months, literally, this chicken ran around. And to show you how, um, 
how, um, I don't even know what the word is, how mean and cruel this farmer is. He charged attendance from people and collected money so that they could come in and watch this headless chicken run around in his farm. So literally 18 months, this chicken ran around without, and, and they fed him, they fed him with an eyedropper through his like esophagus or something. Like, how jacked up is that? All right, how can it be? All right, for you ladies in the room. <laughs> okay. How can it be that Olivia has not been sent home from The Bachelor yet? For the freaking love. So every year, not that I would know, I've heard, I've heard every year they always keep the crazy chick around way longer than she should be and they send these sane girls home that look like they're normal and then they keep psychos like this and um, so just in full discretion, I watched the episode for the very first time this year. Uh, only, only to sympathize with my wife who missed the girls' night thing or whatever, and so I was, I, I was supporting her in her, in in her addiction to the Bachelor. All right, <laughs> I have no idea what's being said. All right, what about this? Uh, there's a little, you know, hot topic debate going around about this whole Common Core math thing, right? So, to whatever extent you guys are involved in that, but like. For, for a dad that's got elementary school kids and I'm sitting down with them trying to do their homework and I'm like, I don't know what the heck this is. And uh, so how can it be that you can read a problem like this and even slightly be able to figure out what the answer to this equation is? Like there's major components of this equation that are missing and these poor kids are having to read that and go, I don't, I don't have a flipping clue what the answer to that is. So it may help to know how many friends Juanita has in the first place to know how many stickers or whatever were left over. Yeah, crazy. Let's, let's boycott math. Who's with me? I was kidding. I was kidding. Math is important. You're going to use it the rest of your life. All right, here's the last one. Did you guys know that the very first iPhone, first generation iPhone, had the same computing power that NASA's computers had back in 69 that sent a man to the moon. Like, how crazy is that? That those computers that sent a spaceship and people up and landed on the moon and we celebrated that, and yet you and I walk around with the same or even more power in our hands now with our smartphones. So that's, that's pretty crazy. And it doesn't mean that they didn't actually land on the moon, all right? I know where some of you are headed. So there are things... There are things that we witness or experience or see or whatever that seem either too good or too crazy to be true. And that's, that song that we sang about is, is essentially saying that same thing. How is it, God, how, when, when it comes to your love for me, how can it be, how is it that you could possibly love me the way that you do? How is it that you care about me? How is it that you forgive my past? How is it that you pull me out of darkness into your light? How is it possible that you could literally love me that way? It almost seems too good to be true. And the, the more we hear about God's love, maybe in some, in some ways the, the harder it is for us to believe that that could actually exist, that we could actually experience that type of love from God. And so... 
there are, it becomes a barrier for people. So non-Christians look at that and they say, man, that seems, that's, that's cool, like that's a good story, like that would be cool if it was true, but how is it possible that God could love me that way, that God could love me and want a relationship with me? It almost seems too good to be true. And so because of that, they may write off Christianity. That's too unbelievable. There's no way that that could be possible, so I'm done with that. It also can be a barrier for Christians. And how many of us have gone through those moments where we've gone, man, God, really, like, do you really love me? Do you really forgive me from my past? God, do you really care about me the way that I read that you do or the way that other people talk about that you do? And we question whether or not God really loves us the way that he says he does. And so whether we're a Christian or a non-Christian, we can look at God's love, and because we don't understand it, or maybe we haven't experienced it, then what ends up happening potentially is we form negative ideas or opinions about it. And so some of these opinions or ideas may be like this. God's love is conditional. So we think, well, he loves us if we do what's right, but he doesn't love us if we mess up. So God's love for us is highly conditional. It's based on our performance. It's based on how well we do or how well we behave. So we feel like we've got to come to church. We've got to try to obey him. We've got to be a good person so that God will say, all right, you're good enough now. Now here's my love. And honestly, I think a lot of times the reason that we feel that way about God is because other people treat us that way. We experience conditional love from other people. And maybe for you, maybe it's a mom or a dad. Maybe it's a a coach or a teacher. Maybe it's another adult. Maybe it's a friend or whatever that you just constantly feel like you've got to perform. You've got to act right. You've got to do the right things. You've got to say the right things. And if you do enough of those, then that person, parent, whatever, will heap praise on you or they will extend their love to you. But if you bring home bad grades or you, you, know, you miss an assignment or you just don't perform or you make a, a big mistake or whatever, then all of a sudden that, that love is withheld from you. And so because we experience that from, from other people, then we translate that over to our relationship with God and feel like his love for us is conditional as well. Maybe we also feel like flat out God's love is not for me. I, I believe that God loves other people um, you know, but, but his love for me is not the same that it may be for the person down the street or for that other person that's in the room that maybe has not made as many mistakes as I've made. But see, for me, it, it, it's not really for me because I know my past. I know what I've done. I know the, the shortcomings. I know the mistakes. I know the failures. And so we just flat out believe, God, your love may be for other people, but it's not, it's not for me. And maybe, again, because people have said, have told us flat out that, or made us feel like we're just unlovable. And so we feel like God holds the same opinion about us. Or maybe we say, God's love doesn't exist because my life is a mess. And if you were here with us last week, we talked a little bit about this in terms of suffering. And we look and we say, my parents got a divorce and God didn't stop it. Or I was abused and God let it happen. Or I experienced problems in my life, and if God loved me, then he would take these problems away from me. And because God doesn't, then therefore God must not love me. 
So we form these negative opinions, and what ends up happening, you guys know those, um, you know those old movies or those scenes you know, from whatever where you've got a guy or a girl that is holding a flower you know, and they pull the petals off and it's that whole, he loves me, he loves me not, right? And so they, he loves me, he loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. And it just depends on how many petals are in that flower are going to determine at the end, well, does that person love me or do they not? And sometimes we, we sort of do the same thing with God. We feel like, ah, oh, today God loves me. Ah, oh, but man, I, I messed up last night, or I, I did something I shouldn't, and so therefore God doesn't love me today. And we sort of, if we're not careful, we, we walk through life feeling like God is constantly falling in and out of love with us. And we have this idea that God's love may be there, it may not be, and what ends up happening is we take the perfect, limitless love of God and we reduce it down to what we've received from other people, to what our experience may be, or to what we can really understand or believe or hold to be true. And that determines whether or not God really loves us. We reduce that down and we feel like, you know what, we, we really view Jesus the same way that we do that, that boyfriend or girlfriend who loved us one minute and then kicked us to the curb the next. And we, we sort of translated that over to our relationship with God and feel like God is the same way. And we dumb down that, that, that perfect, incredible love that will blow us away, that will completely transform our life. And we say, you know what, that, like, that concept is cool, but that's not been my experience. Let me just kind of bring God's love down and let me just kind of slide it in based on what my experience has been in other relationships. And we fail to fully understand and grasp and experience the love of God. And here's, the, here's why this is so dangerous. That is one of the tactics that the enemy has to get us off track or to keep us from knowing Jesus. And if the enemy can, can keep us from, from believing and living in or doubting or questioning God's love for us, then in all reality, he's already defeated us. So the enemy's goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if he's going to be able to kill and destroy, he's got to steal something from us. What is it that he wants to steal from us? He wants to steal from us that truth that God loves you and has a plan for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, there are no other determining factors just because you simply have breath and you are a human being, God loves you and has a plan for you. Can I make this argument tonight? And this is kind of the main point and, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. We experience the fullness of life only when we live in the fullness of God's love. You and I experience the fullness of life only when we learn to live in the fullness of God's love. There's not any of us in here that would not want a full life, right? All of us, we want to, we want to experience the fullness of life. And so, now there's different ways that we go about doing that, and we feel like, you know what, if I, if I add a little bit of this, or if I find satisfaction in this, or if I fill my life with this, then all of a sudden, I, it's going to ultimately lead to a full life. That's the goal. That's what we all want. 
And yet the, the difficult thing is, is that we try to find the fullness of life by all of these things that really can't lead us there. And what I 100% believe is that we will never experience the complete fullness of life until we believe and experience and live in the fullness of God's love. Until that becomes just more of a, it becomes more than just a concept that we hear in church and we go, you know what, that would be really cool and that would, you know, whatever. But it becomes deeper than that. It becomes a part of who we are. We live in that. We experience that. We believe that with everything that we've got. That's when we begin to experience the fullness of life. And it is literally that important. It will transform everything else. And that's why the enemy wants to steal that from us. Because if he can steal that from you, then everything else about who you are is up for grabs. Here's what Ephesians chapter 3 says about our understanding of God's love. Verse 16, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So Paul's saying, look, I hope that you can experience and understand this love that God has for you. It's incredible. It's, and he says, flat out, it's, it's more than you can even wrap your mind around. It's more than you can fully comprehend or understand. But if we live in that, if we experience the love that Jesus has, he says, you will be made complete that we will experience the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So then he, he, he talks about how long and wide and high and deep is this love. And here's, here's kind of the, to explain a little bit further. It can be described like this. God's love is wide enough to extend to all ages and all nations and all types of people. That there is no one that's excluded from God's love. That God's love is wide enough to cover every person that, that exists, regardless of what age or nation or whatever. That it's long enough that it can continue from everlasting to everlasting. That it is not bound by time. That it, long before you and I were here, it always existed. And it will always exist for eternity that there is nothing that can stop it, not even time itself. It is deep enough that it can stoop to the lowest condition, to the, to the depths of darkness to rescue no matter who it is or what their past looks like or how screwed up their situation is. That God's love is deeper and deep enough that it can reach to the bottoms of that and it can, it can rescue the darkest, coldest heart. And it's high enough that it can lift us to the total height of joy and fullness in life. That it can allow us to reach to the full extent of what God wants, to, uh, wants for us to experience in this life. To kind of give you a little bit of a, a different picture, and this, this kind of helps me, I, I, I look, when I read this verse, I think about the ocean. 
And, um, and I, I love the ocean. I love going out into the ocean and splashing around and stuff. And uh, I don't know what that was. And you know, hanging out with the kids or, you know, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm not sitting out, out there on the beach and going, man, I'm, there's no way I'm stepping foot in the water. Like, I, I love the ocean. I love going out there. But there's an aspect of the ocean that scares me to death. When I think about how incredibly huge and large and just the, the sheer size of the ocean, like, I have a, a fear of being stuck out in the middle of the ocean, like, you know, somebody takes me out in a boat and just, like, dumps me off, and I'm just out there, and, like, everywhere I turn, like, all you see is water, and I think about how deep that water must be below me and what may be swimming down there beneath me, and it's just, it's one of those things, I don't, I don't know that I lose sleep over it, but it's one of those things that, like, it's overwhelming to me to think about how incredibly huge the ocean is. And if that helps kind of paint the picture, especially as we, as we read this, this verse that Paul is, is telling us here, that it, it translates so well into God's love. That no matter how much we grow, no matter how much we understand, we're only scratching the surface. To think that you and I can drown in God's love and yet we will never reach the bottom. To think that you and I could swim as far as we possibly wanted to in any direction as we live in and experience God's love, and yet we will never reach the edges of understanding or experience. And it is not until we stand before God one day will we fully comprehend and understand it. And how incredible to know that... You know, again, there may be skeptics in the room that look at that and, we get, and, and they think, man, there's no way that that's true. But if that is true, like that ch- literally changes everything. That's not something that we come in and we sing a song about and then we go back to our daily lives and we just kind of do our thing. Like to know that there is a God out there who loves us in such a way that no matter how much we study it, no matter how much we feel like we understand it, no matter how much we experience it or, or live in it every single day, we can, we're only scratching the surface in terms of how much God loves us. And to know that there is nothing that we could do that would, that would prevent God from loving us that way. Romans 8 is a, is a great verse that talks about this, a great chapter. Here's what it says in verse 35. Paul says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Now just allow yourself, regardless of what you may believe to be true or whatever, allow that, those couple of verses or just those statements to sink in. And if that is true, that changes everything. And for us as Christians, why does this matter so much? Why is this such a big deal? Why do we always have to talk about God's love? Why can't we just sing songs about other things and other aspects of God or other things about being a Christian or whatever? Why, is it all, why do so many songs point back to the cross or about God's love? It's because God's love is a foundation in our faith. We literally have no faith if there is no, not just God's love like with, in, a, in a limited sense, but if there is not the complete, un, uh, unfathomable, limitless love of God, then we have no faith. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, the bedrock of our Christian faith is the unmerited, fathomless marvel of the love of God exhibited on the cross of Calvary, a love that we never can and never shall deserve or merit. Maybe this is something that you have, have doubted. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian in the room, maybe this is just one of those things that you've you've really failed to, to fully grab a hold of and embrace as God loves me. Then just allow that truth to sink in. Just think about that truth for just a minute. God loves you. God loves you. And for, for you ladies in the room, you desire that kind of love. Like you crave that kind of love. And maybe, to some extent, maybe that's what causes you know, some of us, and, and maybe for you ladies in particular, to go a little cray-cray sometimes and you know, to turn out like Olivia or whatever. And maybe you're not that bad. Hopefully you're not. But maybe, maybe you find yourself doing dumb things with dumb guys because you crave that so bad. You want to know that there is a love for you out there that nothing will change, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, that nothing will hinder that. If we crave that so much, why would we not run fully into God's love and experience the depths of God's love that he has for us, rather than settling for an imperfect love with an imperfect guy? For us guys in the room, passionately loving Jesus does not make you weak or less of a man. In all reality, it makes you a better man because you're seeking after that one thing that brings your life significance and fullness. And if that's the case, why would you waste your time seeking anything else rather than pursuing Jesus with everything that you've got, knowing that that's the thing that's going to make your life matter, that's going to make your life count. And at the end of the day, that's going to attract the attention of the ladies that you want to attract the attention of that are seeking after those guys who pursue Jesus and love Jesus with everything that they've got.
For so many of us, it's time for us to stop trying to find love in things that could never satisfy us and fulfill us like Jesus can. And we waste so much time and so much energy and experience so much heartache because we fail to run to Jesus to experience those things when he's saying, it's only in me that you're going to find it, but I promise you, you will find it if you will just seek me. We experience the fullness of life only when we live in the fullness of God's love. Let's pray together. As you, as you guys with head bowed and, and, and uh, eyes closed, as you guys are sitting there tonight and, and maybe you say, you know what, I've, I've never experienced God's love. I've, I've always doubted that that was, that was for me or that, that it existed or whatever. The way Jesus proved his love was by giving up his life for yours. And he loved you enough that he saw you in your condition, he saw your sin, he saw your mess, and he said, you're worth it. And he saw value in you. And he saw a lady or a man that was worth dying for. And he gave up heaven, and Jesus came, and he suffered on a cross so that you and I could experience the fullness of his love. And the first step for any of us, if we want to experience the fullness of God's love, in order for us to really enter into that relationship, it begins with just admitting our need for God. For us to come to a point where we just say, God, I understand that I need you and I want that love that you have for me. And I admit that I don't deserve it, which is another reason that makes it so incredible. And so if that's you tonight, right here where you're sitting, just in conversation with God, you can just tell God, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I need you. I want you. I want to receive the forgiveness that you offered me through the cross. And it really is just as simple as admitting, believing that Jesus is God, confessing your need for him and allowing him to enter into your heart and your life and to begin to change who you are. For those of us in the room that have, would say we have a relationship with Jesus, we've put our faith and trust in him and yet we go day to day or week to week feeling like God's falling in and out of love with us. Maybe because we've screwed it up last weekend or maybe because we made a mistake or maybe it's just because other people have, have fed lies into our own heart and into our own mind and so we've, we've doubted whether God really loves us. Maybe you would just say tonight, God, would you help me to experience your love, that your love is for me? 
I've doubted you, I've minimized your love, I've reduced it down to what I've experienced from other people which could never compare to how much you love me. God, would you help me to fully understand the love that you have for me? Would you help me to grow? I want to experience the fullness of life. Would you help me to not only understand but to experience and live in the fullness of your love? God, I thank you for that truth and that reality that you love us. And it is something, especially in church, that could be said a lot, and yet it could go in one ear and out the other, and yet it never really penetrate our heart. God, I pray if there are students in the room tonight who have never put their faith and trust in you as Savior, God, that tonight would be the night. God, that they would take that step, that they would experience would put their faith and trust in you as Savior. They would admit their need for you and you would begin to transform their heart and life. And that you would just overwhelm them with an understanding of your love. God, I pray that we would no longer believe the lies of the enemy that says that we are not worth it, that says that, that your love is limited, that says that you could not stretch beyond a certain point to rescue us from a past mistake or a failure, God, that we would not believe those lies anymore, but God, that we would allow ourselves to drown in the unbelievable, limitless, incredible love that you offer. And it would transform every single area of our life and everything about who we are. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.